Good morning, everyone. Has everyone noticed that all the women who went to colour are really hyped up this morning? Good morning, good morning, good morning. Anyway, are you well? You're well. Uh, we're going to continue our series on the Beatitudes this morning. Before I do, Luke told me I need to, um, young adults on the 17th, we're starting back up on the 17th of this month. So put that in your diary and uh, we'll let you know more details about the 17th. Um, so we're going on with our series called the Beatitudes and the Beatitudes is not so much a set of um, characteristics that we're striving for. It's actually an outcome of a life lived with Jesus. And uh, as we go through looking at these um, different characteristics of what the, that life with Jesus brings, uh, we need to remember the context in which it was said. This was actually, um, it's the Beatitudes, and I'm going to speak on one key, um, key verse this morning. Uh, it's just a sentence out of a whole sermon. And so we need to look at it as a whole as well as looking at it as just the, uh, the beatitude. And, and this sermon was actually such a radical teaching. It's, people know about it. It's the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, it's a radical teaching. Jesus was actually speaking this stuff and it was blowing people's minds. They were part of a culture at that time that was an honor-shame culture. What does that mean? That means that your, your worth was given by the honor that was bestowed on you by the group of people around you. Today, we have a real individual, individualist society. We really champion the cause of be yourself, autonomy, do it yourself, that kind of thing. But this was a real group culture and honor was the thing that um, gave you a place in society. And here we've just learned over the last few weeks, be meek and mild, um, humble and poor of spirit. And all these things are totally countercultural to what their culture was saying. And Jesus was saying, if you want to be blessed and if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, it's got to look nothing like the world does it. It's got to look different than that. And, and these people were just sitting there going, it actually says at the end of the sermon, it goes over Matthew 5, 6 and 7. It says at the end of the sermon, they burst into applause because they had never heard anything like it. And this today, as we just uh, unfold it a little, um, I want us to keep that in mind that this was a sermon And there was an overall theme of this sermon and it was, you are not to live the way the world lives. Let me show you how to live. Let me give you a glimpse of the culture of heaven. And that's what Jesus was doing in the Beatitudes. And the verse I get to speak on today is found in Matthew 5, 6. It will be our key verse this morning. In the Amplified Version, it says, Blessed, joyful, nourished by God's goodness are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, those who actively seek right standing with God, for they will be completely satisfied. A shorter version for those of you that don't like words is, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When we read these verses, it was... It was in response 
to the first three that had gone before. Um, just through my studies, there's a lot of, they talk about a lot of patterns in the writings. And the first three that had gone before were an outpouring, meek, mild, poor of spirit, just a real humbling. And this one was in response to that. It's like, well, if that's where you are, we seek righteousness and we'll be filled. And, um, and it was just such an, a crazy thing for people to be hearing. I just, we need to understand that. Let me share a few other things that Jesus said in this sermon because this is the verse that brings in the theme of righteousness. And it's the introductory verse of righteousness, but it continues throughout the next few chapters. He continually talks about my righteousness and the kingdom of God and my righteousness and the kingdom of God. He goes on to say in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, anyone in Matthew 5.19, therefore, anyone who sets aside the least of these commandments and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom. For, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you'll certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He goes on in 6.1, be careful not to practice righteousness in front of others. If you do, you'll have no reward in heaven. And in our famous uh, the Lord's Prayer, he goes on to say in 6 verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Verse 32, seek first his kingdom and all his righteousness and these things will be added unto you. There was a whole theme throughout this sermon where he was calling his disciples into a lifestyle of righteousness that was linked with the kingdom of heaven. They don't, they're not apart from each other. You, you, you can't inherit the kingdom of heaven unless you are cultivating a life that hungers and thirsts for righteousness. He was giving us a glimpse of heaven of heaven's culture. And this morning, with the theme of righteousness and the kingdom of heaven in mind, I want to speak to you in the short time that we have about the power of your hunger. The power of your hunger. Because he doesn't go on to really say how you become righteous, but he tells us what to do about it. He tells us to be hungry and thirsty for it. And so I want to talk about the power of your hunger. If you're taking notes this morning, it's the power of your hunger. To do this, we're going to look at a few different stories, but the first one is found in Genesis 25, 19. And we find two brothers, Jacob and Esau, and they're twins. And they, uh, they're real boys. They're fighting in the womb, and they fight forevermore until reconciliation years later. But we pick up this story in uh, Genesis 25, 21 to uh, 32, I think we're down to 34. Isaac prayed hard to God for his wife because she was barren. And God answered his prayer and Rebekah became pregnant. But the children tumbled and kicked inside of her so much that she said, if this is the way it's going to be, why go on living? <laughs> All the pregnant women. Amen. She, I don't know, I wouldn't have a clue. Yes, amen. 
<laughs> she went to God to find out what was going on. God told her, two nations are in your womb, two peoples butting heads while still in your body. One people will overpower the other and the older will serve the younger. When her time to get, give birth came, sure enough, there were her twins in her womb. And first came out reddish and if, as if it was wearing a snugly wrapped in, ooh, uh, wrapped in a hairy blanket and they named him Esau, hairy. <laughs> nice. Uh, his brother followed, his fist clutched tight to Esau's heel. They named him Jacob, heel. Isaac was 60 years old when they were born. The boys grew up. Esau became an expert hunter, an outdoorsman, and Jacob was a quiet man, preferring the life indoors among the tents. Isaac loved Esau because he loved his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And one day Jacob was cooking a stew. Esau came in from the field, starved. Esau said to Jacob, give me some of that red stew, I'm starved. That's how he became called to be Edom, red creative names. Jacob said, make me a trade for my stew, your rights as the firstborn. Esau said, I'm starving. What good is a birthright if I'm dead? And Jacob said, first swear to me. And he did it. On an oath, Esau traded away his rights as the firstborn. Jacob gave him the bread and the stew of lentils. He ate and drank, got up and left. And that's how Esau shrugged off his rights as the firstborn. He disregarded his birthright. And to us today, that wouldn't wouldn't really mean too much. Actually, I think lots of us would like to be called younger. Yeah, you go. You be the older one. I'll be the younger one. But this was was meaningful. The birthright was um, a position in the family. And the firstborn, the firstborn son, was the one who inherited the blessing, a double blessing and a double inheritance. And the inheritance upon this family, it wasn't just a load of money or something along the lines of that or you get the really big tent and Jacob will just get the small one or it wasn't along that lines. The inheritance upon this family was the covenant that God had made with Abraham. Generations before, God came down from heaven in the form of fire and made a covenant with Abraham that one, I will bless you and make you a great nation. I will give you a land of your own and you will be a blessing to every persons on the earth. That was their covenant, that God would be their God and they would be their people. And here Esau just goes, I'll take the lentils. (laughs) Thanks, Charlie. I'll take the lentils. This was no small inheritance. This was the covenant that the almighty creator came down from heaven to earth to make sure that there would be a way for relationship between his people and himself. And he shrugged it off for his appetite. We could sit here and think, how stupid. What an idiot. But don't we do this? Don't we do this any time that we give up our birthright of being son and daughter and being able to go and feast at the table of our Lord, but we choose the world appetite 
I'll just do what I want to do. I know you said hunger and thirst for righteousness and then I'll be blessed to live a life of blessing. I must maintain that hunger for, for righteousness. But you know what? I'll take, I'll take what's happening right now. And in Philippians 3.19, it says, there are many out there taking other paths, choosing other goals and trying to get you to go along with them. I warned you of them many times and sadly, I have to do it again. They all want, all they want is easy street. They hate Christ's cross, but easy street is a dead end street. Those who live there make their bellies, their gods, belches their praises. All they can think about is their appetites. Another version says their minds were set on earthly things. How often we do this. We know we're meant to hunger and thirst for righteousness, for the culture of heaven, but we just fit in with today's culture and slap Jesus over the top and hope that's okay. But we're meant to be, if we want to live in a life that is blessed, it says that we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Don't be surprised, in the words of Donald Miller, don't be surprised if you don't live according to Jesus' ways and then get disappointed when he won't jump through your hoops. There is a way to be blessed and there is a way to inherit the kingdom of heaven. There is a way to righteousness and it's not your way, it's his way. It's his word. Esau completely disregarded the heavenly things God had waiting for him. He, he, he just shrugged it off. It was nothing to him. And one of the biggest killers of hunger and thirst for righteousness is this, complacency. Oh, whatever. Indifference, apathy. I'll just, look, I'm hungry now. Look, I know he's not going to be my husband, but I'll just take him now. I know that this, I don't have this money, but I'm just going to spend it now. Instead of trusting that the provision will come and waiting in the patience and being, and being refined by the fire and walking the walk of faith. I'll just do it my way. His hunger was out of sync with his calling. He was called to carry the covenant of of the children of Israel and his hunger was out of sync. Too often we suffer from this as well. Our hunger doesn't align with the calling. Our calling, in the same sermon, Jesus goes on to say, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. That's your calling. Your calling is to go out and make disciples, to tell people about the gospel, to be an ambassador of Jesus Christ, to bring hope and light on the earth. That's your calling. And the hunger for the things of this world will not get you there. We need to make sure that our hunger is in sync with our calling that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness because we cannot have the calling of heaven and the hunger of earth. We can't have both. We read on in Genesis, a couple of chapters on, when it came to the time when Isaac was going to die and at the end of the life, the father would, would call the sons in and give the blessing. And even though um, Jacob and Esau had made this weird pact over stew, um, he's, 
Jacob still needed to trick his father that he was Esau. So Isaac was dim of sight and, and he didn't really know. And it's a great story, read it. But he came in and tried to act like his brother and he got the blessing of the firstborn. He got the blessing that he wanted. And then uh, Esau comes in, not knowing that Jacob had gone in and taken his blessing. And in verse 36, we see, he says this. He said, first he took my birthright and now he's taken my blessing. He begged, haven't you kept any blessing for me? All along he lived in his father's house. All along he was a son. But it was his hunger that caused him to miss out on the blessing. Have you not kept any blessing for me? And I wonder if we do this to Jesus sometimes. Bless me, bless my mom, bless my dad, bless my cat, bless my dog, bless my, bless me. But Jesus says, you want blessing? Like heaven on earth kind of blessing? You want blessing? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Because what you hunger for is what you'll seek out. Oh man, I get the most specific cravings in the world. Luke will testify to this. Like I could just be sitting there and like, okay, I want this type of bread and it needs to be this brand of butter and I want it to be cooked like this. And we, I just get the stupidest, most cravings like, and they're spot on. I know exactly what I want. And so does your spirit. You teach your spirit what to hunger for. And the funny thing about heaven and the spiritual realm, it's not like the natural realm where you can eat and get full and go, oh, I could not have any more. It's different. You eat and you're never satisfied. You want more and more. The more you eat, the hungrier you get. The more you eat, the more you see God. It's not like a physical hunger. And Jesus teaches us in the, in the Beatitudes, we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And my fear is that we'd fall into the Esau trap where we're in the Father's house. Here we are in the Father's house. We carry the name of son or daughter, but we're left saying, don't you have any blessing for me? And notice what Isaac says. He actually says, I have made him master over you. I've made him master over you. You know what? Your hunger and your master are the same thing. This is why Jesus goes on to say in the same sermon, Matthew 6, 21, for there your treasure is, there's your heart. Where your hunger is, that's where your attention is. What you're craving, that's where you'll go. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, you cannot serve two masters. This is all the same sermon. Either you'll hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot love God and money. You cannot love the currency of heaven and the currency of earth. There's power in your hunger and the devil knows it. You know how we know that? First time we see Jesus tempted, what does he use? Hunger. 40 days, 40 nights, he hasn't eaten. It says he was 
hungry. It says Matthew 4, 1. It says, next Jesus was taken into the wild by the Spirit for, t- for the test. The devil was ready to give it. Jesus prepared for the test by fasting 40 days and 40 nights. That left him, of course, because he was fully man in a state of extreme hunger, which the devil took advantage of in the first test. Since you're the God's son, speak the word that will turn the stones into loaves of bread. Jesus answered by quoting Deuteronomy, it takes more than bread to stay alive and it takes a steady stream of words from God's mouth. What was he saying? I will not surrender my hunger to the things of this world. I will not. And the devil knows your hunger is where your heart is. A stark contrast to Esau who just said, well, you, well what use is it to me if I die? Jesus was declaring, I have a hunger that nothing in this world will satisfy. And whether I live or die, that remains the most important thing. I have a hunger to be right standing with God. I have a hunger to become more like Him. There's power in your hunger. And the devil hasn't stopped using this strategy of finding your hunger. He'll test us where he said, well, since you're the son of God and you're hungry, right? Just turn that into bread. And it seems like, you know what? That could be facaded as a move of God because a miracle happened. But we must hunger and thirst for for the righteousness of God by the word of God so we know when to move on on God's word and when not to. Because it was facaded as a miracle. And the devil says things like us, like this to us. Since you're under grace, you could live however you want and still get blessed. We need to be able to speak back to that with the word and God and go, "Uh uh-uh. My Bible says hunger and thirst for righteousness and there I'll be blessed. My Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. My Bible says that seek first the kingdom of God and all this would be added unto me. I'm only blessed if I'm seeking Him. I'm only blessed if I'm putting Him first. I'm only blessed if my hunger is in line with the calling to bring Jesus and heaven to earth. That's when I'm blessed. That's the only time I'm blessed. So, how is your hunger? One of the common signs when someone has a stomach sickness, like you know those horrible 24-hour bugs, they never want to eat anything. Their hunger goes because they're sick. And there's nothing like that, that first moment when you're getting your hunger back and you get Vegemite toast with butter. Yeah. And uh, it's nothing like your hunger coming back when you're getting healthy. And it's like that with your spirit. There's something wrong with your walk with Jesus Christ if you're not hungry for the things of him. And there's nothing like when your hunger returns. One of the biggest challenges in the Christian walk is to remain full and hungry at the same time. But our key verse says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be 
filled. Not full, filled. It's ongoing. You'll be full, but you'll be, you'll be overflowing. And they'll just keep more coming in and more going out and more coming in and more going out. It's not a one-time event. You'll be filled. It's a constant coming and eating and drinking from his table. And the more you eat, the more you want. The more you see, the more you want to see. Last bit of scripture and I'll bring this in. John 7, 37 to 39. Um, The scene is, it's a a festival of the tabernacle or the feast of the tabernacle. and, And it has been going for seven days. It's the last huge day. And Jesus... Um, he was cautious about going because it wasn't his time yet, that kind of thing. But he, he slipped in unnoticed for most of the week and he could hear the things that people were saying about him. But on the last day, on the last day he stands up and, and let me set the scene for you. This, this feast was a feast that uh, was held by the Jews to celebrate the good things that had been done in the wilderness. And so they would light candles to, to remember how, he, how the fire went before them. And uh, they would feast because God gave them food. But every morning they had these enormous cisterns that they would pour out of water. Water would just go everywhere. And it would be to remember that God quenched their thirst in the wilderness. And it's in, it's in that scene that Jesus stands up. It says, on that final and climatic day of the feast, Jesus took his stand and he cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Rivers of living water will brim and spill out of the depths of anyone who believes in me this way, just as the scripture said. After seven days of feasting, I'm sure no one was really that thirsty. And with the water just being splashed everywhere, like lots of water. I'm sure people weren't walking around going, (gasps) it's not like they were parched. And he stands up in the middle and he's like, if anyone's thirsty, how could anyone be thirsty in that environment? I believe this is what Jesus was saying. It's great to talk about what God did back in the wilderness. But is anyone thirsty now? Does anyone want to talk about what God's doing now? Is anyone want to see and and have a drink now? Not just talking about what he did, but what he's doing. It's great to talk about all the things way back in the wilderness. But what about now? How's the hunger now? How's the thirst now? And you know what? I, I don't want to be someone who just talks about what God did. Talk about the heritage. Salvation has a great heritage, but I don't want to talk about that for the rest of my life. I want to talk about how incredibly the Holy Spirit moved in those first meetings. I want to talk about how he did that today. I don't want to talk about how, how the, the gospel spread like wildfire around the church and we're a part of that. We're still a part of that. And he's still crying out going, who's thirsty? Who wants a drink? 
Who wants to see what's happening now in the Spirit of God? I don't want to talk about the miracles that happened just 10 years ago or how in my mom and dad's generation, they really went out in faith and planted churches. I want that now. I want miracles now. I want freedom now. I want deliverance now. I want peace now. I want joy now. I want heaven realities on earth now. I want people to be filled. I want people to go, I'm thirsty for that. Amen. Amen. Church, I felt, I wrestled with this message all week. And it was about mm, 2.30 last night. I went, oh, great, thanks. Luke got up this morning. He goes, did you come to bed? No, I did. But there was an urgency in my spirit when, I, when, he, when he spoke it to me. In the middle of the darkest of the night, I felt an urgency. Because it's in the same sermon, he says this, Matthew 6, no, he says this, many of you will call me master, master, and I will say I didn't know you. Esau was in his father's house, he said, Do you not have any blessing left for me? Sorry, your hunger led you astray. There was an urgency in my spirit when God told me this. There is a call for the church to not just look like the world. Do it like the world. Have debt like the world. Raise our kids like the world. Speak like the world. Watch what the world watches. Read what the world reads. Have whole social media campaigns about us so the world can just see us. We are here for Jesus. There is, a, there is an urgency for us to hunger and thirst for heaven on earth. That is the only way the world is going to be saved. You can't do it. I can't do it. Jesus can through us. And I felt him speak to me. This one isn't for everyone. But it, it is for the people who've probably been known Christ for about over five years. I'd say three because the disciples only got three, but they really got face-to-face Jesus. I'm going to say five. And if I could be so bold to use the words of Paul in Hebrews 5, 12, 14. In fact, though, by this time you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk and not solid food. Anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted to the teachings about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, by who by constant use. What is that? Constant hunger, constant going in, constant reading, constant feeding, have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. If you have been a Christ follower for over five years and have not committed your life to seeking the kingdom of heaven here and now teaching others and making disciples, I believe you are out of the calling of God. That's why we're here. 
not for happiness. And, and we have a full, look, that sounds discouraging. It's not. It's a call to rise. It, he will fill you. He will fill you. It's not like he's hiding and going, you can't get me. You can't get me. All we need to turn our hunger is, you know what? That world makes me sick now. All I want is you. And he'll do it for you. Keep coming to the table and eating and he'll fill you. Keep coming to the table and drinking and he'll, he'll fill you up to overflowing. And the world will discover Jesus through you and I the way the church is meant to be. Amen. I'm going to ask one last question and I ask it with a smile because I preach into myself right now. There's things in my world I just go, what am I doing that for? What a waste of my time. Does your hunger make sense in light of eternity? Esau made a decision based on his living. We need to make decisions based on the life after living. How's your hunger in light of eternity? Does it make sense? Does it make sense what you're hungering for, what you're going for? Does it make sense in light of eternity? Or will it burn up when we get there? I pray that God would completely, completely fill us 